you see your kid is forever being two years old or, or the baby, you know, and she's my firstborn. And now here she is going off to high school. And it's like, holy cow, where did that time go? Get ready to tune into stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Dan Peterson, how's it going, my man? Good. What's hey, happening, Scott? I, I like doing uh, repeat interviews. You haven't been on the Brotherhood, but you were on my other podcast, so I, it's kind of like, "Hey, welcome, welcome back. Let's get going." <laughs> yeah, it's like like yeah, old friends. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and you and I, what's really cool is you and I both have, you know, we're we're both business owners, and uh, we actually do very similar type of work. So, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about your work, and then we'll dive into the family stuff, which is what really. Yeah, sure. So uh, I founded Flip Switch Social Media, which is a digital marketing agency back in 2012. And um, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs and that background bled into uh, why I started Flip Switch. That way there was a small business solution. That's what it was designed for. We do have some bigger clients, but uh, most of it is small to mid-sized companies. And that way they uh, have the same access to an agency that the big companies have, except they don't have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for it like they would if they went to a I think agency. You, so that was you and I have goal. very similar, different models, different ways that we fulfill it, but it's incredibly mm-hmm. similar. And that was really my thing too, is like more, um, more businesses need access to tools and services that aren't, you know, 10 K a month. Because I remember when I first started uh, a couple months in, someone did a sales call with us and they, they called and said, Hey, I didn't choose you. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, why not? Love to know so that I can improve. They're like, well, the other one was $10,000. You were not. You were way, way, way under that. So I figured they must be way better than you. And that was an interesting lesson. Um, And I'm like, wow, you're paying. And I'm like, is there a difference in what they're providing? No, actually, you do. You say you'll do more. But it's really hard for me to think that you're any good because of your price. So guys like you and I have to work through that whole thing, too, right? Like certain small businesses are like, you're you're so expensive than other guys coming back. Yeah. We didn't choose you because you're not charging 10 to 15 K a month. Right. No, you're uh, you're onto something there. And it's funny because when so fast or rewind back to the first probably two or three years of flip switch being in business, we actually had to raise our price multiple times because of that exact yeah. same thing. And we're still way under the other market rates, but it's, it's funny because I just had this conversation in this, like three days ago about this and it was the same thing. It was uh, a client wondering like, there's no way you can do it for that. And I'm like, well, we've done it for 10 years. Give us a shot. You know, um, if you want to pay more, I'll charge you double, but I don't, you know, I don't think you want to do that either. So, but that's yeah, funny. There's a, it's perceived value is what it is. So true. It is perceived it's value. Mercedes versus yeah, Toyota. Yeah. I've changed. I, I now have another company that has the opposite end of the spectrum. And, uh, it, it, it's just a completely different beast. Like there, it's just completely different, but I, I was, and am like you, I really want to solve problems for small businesses because I've had small businesses forever. We both, you grew up in that. we talked about that in the stories that sell podcast. You grew up in that environment, a small business and stepped right into it. And so, um, it's just, it, it's fun talking about these things. We could probably go into a small business conversation for this whole episode, but not all own, not all listeners are small business owners or care about that. <laughs> but right. 
Yeah, they should go listen to stories that sell <laughs> exactly. your other podcast. Well, it's funny. I have a lot of uh, listeners who are like, hey, I listen to both your podcasts every week. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. How do you how do you handle me so much? <laughs> but uh, I'm very appreciative, of course. Do you have your own podcast? No. So I was going uh-huh. to start one, and uh, I spoke with a mutual acquaintance, and um, it was Jason. And he said, you should just be a professional Coach or a professional um, podcast guest, yeah. and do like a hundred yeah. episodes or 150 episodes a year. And I'm like, wow, I never even thought it's, about that. So that's what I'm yeah, starting. Hopefully, to do. he's guiding you. I can definitely give you some suggestions. Um, what works and what doesn't? Because I get hit a lot with yeah. what I just throw away. A lot of requests that I throw away. It's it's insane. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, but awesome. it, it is. It's that's a lot of people are like. Oh, I'm going to start a that's podcast. Do, I'm like, right? how about you just go be on podcasts? Because yeah, it, most people that start podcasts don't carry it out. They don't follow through. I, the average number, right. uh, is it 13 episodes? Yeah, it's really low. low. And those live in the podcast listings forever. So you go search a podcast. Oh, right. there's 4 million podcasts. Well, about 1 million of them are active, if that. So it's still right. like brand new, but being on podcasts is absolutely the best way to grow your audience. It is insanely, insanely good. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. you having me on. Well, of course you bet. I'm not just going to pull anybody on. I, I like interesting people, people who are going through the same things. So you, uh, you have some, you have some kids <laughs> for, you have a uh, ranging from four to 13 and they're all daughters. And I always get a kick out of, talking to guests who are girl dads because I'm boy dad and it's, it's always an interesting experience. Now being a girl dad, my understanding is there's quite a bit of a time and attention involved in that. If you're going to be good at it. There is. Um, and everybody's, you know, going through different phases of their life right now. One's 13, one's 11 and one's four and the 11 and 13 aren't terribly far apart, but in other senses and other ways, they're completely opposite ends of the spectrum because one, you know, the oldest one is now getting ready to go into high school next year, uh, which like last night we just did her uh, high school walkthrough and the whole um, thing that you had to do for, uh, for that. And that was just really uh, difficult for me in a, in a little, I don't know. It, it's almost like um, I, you know, obviously I think all parents can attest to this you see your kid is forever being two years old or, or the baby, yeah. you know, and she's my firstborn, And now here she is going off to high school and it's like, Holy cow, where did that time yeah. go? And, uh, and that's some of the best advice I think I give new parents and I uh, wish, you know, somebody had given me it. And I think I did a good job of it, but I definitely give new parents this advice of try to take mental photographs of everything you want to remember about your kid's childhood. So don't take, you know, you can take literal photographs on your phone or whatever, but try to take mental snapshots of those moments so that they are stamped on your brain and don't disappear because it is just a blink of an eye and they're already in high school or college. What I'm hearing is be present and be intentional in the moments. Yeah. That's it. Intentional is the key. Which is from observation. When I go to school events, when I go to sporting events, when I'm out in the community from observation, Many, many, many people are failing at this mm. really badly. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm anywhere near perfect. I think um, I have a long way to go, and uh, I think that everybody probably has a long way to go if they do a little introspection. But 
but it is one thing that I tell new parents like, Hey, remember these moments. Cause I don't really remember a lot about the first several years of my oldest Kylie. I don't remember a lot about her first several years because I was so mm-hmm. busy doing so much stuff. And it was, um, probably one of the hardest, most regretful things I have to live with today is looking back and not remembering some of those little moments, like what her birthday party looked like, or, you know, like just things that you might consider almost stupid in nature. Like, that's dumb. You don't, you know, nobody remembers all that stuff. But I think that as I become more intentional, I am, I am remembering Mm -hmm. it. So therefore I know it's possible to do it. And so now I'm even more regretful that I didn't do it with the first one and not as much with the second one. The four-year-old, I feel like was my, my chance to, you know, a seven-year gap. I grew up a lot and, and remembered what I'm telling these other parents. So now I'm able to implement it myself with the third child. But, uh, you know, you can't turn back time. You can't do it over. So you can't beat yourself up, but that's my best advice for everybody is be more intentional. I, I agree. And this is, this is kind of the impetus for brotherhood of father in the first brotherhood of fatherhood in the first place was the fact that mm-hmm. I was working so hard and like in the name of supporting my family that I missed a lot of those moments with my firstborn, like an incredibly, it's ironic, yeah. It, it? It, and I watch it happen with a lot of men. Um, that just gets mm-hmm. so dialed into work. I, there's a switch that flips inside of us when we fir- have our first kid. I, I have studied this and I believe this. A lot of us have this flip switch and we're like, we've got to provide. And we go, mm-hmm. like I went into hyper mode. I went into hyper work mode and working, you know, 16 hour days <laughs> and five years later, looking back going, wow, well, that was stupid. Like, I worked really hard for yeah. money, yet I lost the one thing that I can't ever get back, which is those moments. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I hear you. I um I kind of relate to that too. Yeah. So now you have a four year old. And so how have you changed? What what kind of things have you changed that how you interact and are involved and intentional? Then I mean, obviously we just talked about one. But is there other things that you are doing differently now? More patient. Um, I'm not a patient person by nature. Um, and I've got a pretty uh, pretty good temper on me, which probably doesn't even show through you when I talk to people. You'd have to, you'd have to be around me for a while to probably see it. But um, depending on how stressed I am and things, I'm, I'm not good at uh, putting stress in my mm. pocket and going about my day. I have a, I, it mixes into my life too much and it's something I've really worked on for a long time now, but, uh, and I'm, I get a little better at it all the time, but patience is the the thing that I think with the four-year-old is really, uh, one of the outstanding things, you know, that stands out. I mean, not like I'm doing it. outstanding. <laughs> um, it's one of the things that stands out from what I did with the first two where, um, uh, understanding she is a kid, she is going to make mistakes. She is going to do things, um, you know, make messes and do all that stuff. And, and I think maybe I had a little bit of too much of a, uh, high bar for my first two kids and I've lowered that bar for the third one and just letting her be more, uh, just be a kid, you know, you screw up, you screw up and, and trying to take those and make them more teaching moments as she grows up. So that's one thing. Um, and the other thing that I think I've done differently is, you know, I am seven years older than I was when the second one was this age. So, um, that seven year gap when you're going from your mid thirties to your early forties, like I am now, I'm 43, um, soon to be 44. Um, that time frame is, 
pretty transitional in a lot of men's lives, I feel, because you go from this, you're still, you know, I'm still young at heart right now in my forties, but I'm, you're very young at heart in your thirties still. And, uh, you know, people live a lot longer now, so it's not like you feel like you're half dead when you're 30 years old, you know, you, you still feel young. So, um, so I, I just had that youthful mentality a little bit. And, um, I grew out of some of that mentally as I went from 35 to 42 or whatever, um, or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I guess the easiest way to summarize would be just, uh, looking at her life through a different lens because of my age than I did through the lens that I saw the first two, because I was that much younger. Yeah. So then the question becomes for the younger fathers who don't have the wisdom and the, and the different lens, how do we get that across to them so that they don't feel regret or like they can speed the process? Like they can speed the process you and I went through and, and be even better. You said something that you said two things I really want to talk about. You talked about patience and teachable moments, which they were all there intertwined. I do think most men really struggle with patience. I see it all the time. Uh, I used to really struggle with it. I think I'm a little better now. Um, plus, I don't have I don't have uh, super young ones in the house. You know, I'm at 15 and 18. One's just about to go off, and the other ones, you know, in high school. But I did have a good friend of mine come and visit for a week or uh, four days, and he brought his eight year old. And it was really interesting because I got peeked back in, you know, back under the hood of what it's like to be a dad with that age and young. There's a lot of things that can stretch your patience. There's a lot of, you know, obviously for obvious reasons, there's a lot of immaturity and saying silly things. And, And I watched as this father, you know, was working really hard to be very patient and understanding and also coaching like, you know, like not maybe guiding like, Hey, this is why you wouldn't say that at this point. It was, it was really cool to watch, but it also brought a lot of memories back to me. What is it about us that is so, why are we so impatient? I mean, cause I I know you say you're super impatient, but I'm going to just say most men are super impatient. Yeah, I think, and I'm not a doctor or scientist, but I think there's gotta be a genetic, encoding of certain, you know, a certain level of that where we are a little more hyper alert maybe, or just go, go, go. Because we, like you said before, we feel like we have to provide, we feel like we have to protect. We have that built into us from a DNA Mm -hmm. standpoint. And, um, and, and that has to show through somehow through patience and it, you know, it's no excuse for any of it because, you know, we are able to control feelings and emotions and things as humans. And so we can learn and grow and develop mentally. We don't have to uh, show the the types of things, you know, the negative traits and the things like that. We can put those away, but um, but it, it is difficult. I I think I think you're right that men have that um, that patience or lack thereof um, kind of at ask. Well, it's kind of the same thing. Like there's that aspect, and then there's tempers and things. I mean, women have tempers too. I mean. I know some women that have crazy tempers, um, but I feel like genetically, it seems like it's more of that fight or flight kind of war mentality that men have. Um, and I don't know, I, like I said, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but it, there's gotta be something but there's, to that. But there's observations of a man who's been through it. And I think quite honestly, you know, there, there's a lot of learning that come that we can help other men through. You also mentioned like, mm-hmm. like you basically are talking about anger, you know, having 
having like a bit of a temper. So anger, lack of patience are two recurring things. Men ask me, how do I fix this? How do I, how do I reduce my quickness to anger? How do I reduce? And it's a common thing. And for me, I say, well, you, you have to develop space like between the event happening and your response. You have to create something within that. You can't have a back, like a sandwich without any meat. You got to add the meat, which is breathing, maybe like stepping out of the room for a second, if possible, or stepping out of your own uh, reptilian response, drawing in and really letting the rest of the brain work on this. And that takes practice, man. That is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. No, that that's spot on right there. That That's probably something that I'm working the hardest at, actually, is to take deep breaths and give myself that second before I, I fly off the handle. So, um, yeah, but you're right, you know, with, and with younger parents, you know, looking back, if I could tell my 27 year old self or 30 year old self that, Hey, there's a, uh, there's a different way mm-hmm. to do things. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a lot easier on you and your kids. I would certainly, um, take that. Advice. Absolutely. But yeah. the, uh, but you can't look back. And no, you time. can't. And that's the thing. But I do want to get back to uh, two other things you talked about. But first, mm-hmm. I was listening to Dr. Carolyn Leaf, which who's a like a biophysiologist or I don't know. She's brilliant. Uh, and if you have a chance to listen to her, the Ed Milet podcast with her on it is is a brilliant podcast. She talks fast. So you, okay. <laughs> I usually listen to podcasts at 1.5. I'm like, ah, I'm going to bump this one back down in one. But um, she's incredibly <laughs> brilliant with 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 a the breathing. So I heard I learned a um, a breathing technique from her, and then my wife was just talking about a breathing technique, and I'm like, it's the same, and it's different from what a lot of people think. It's three counts in, as and then seven counts out, and what happens in that time? So I'm I'm gonna give guys you out there a cheat code for creating this space. Somehow neurochemically in the brain, you literally cannot experience stress when you do that breathing pattern. And so it actually creates space. And she says what you should say when you're doing it in your head, which I find really hard because the count is really hard, is think, uh, oh my gosh, I forgot it, but there's three words. And, um, oh, think, feel, think, think, choose, feel. So think about it, choose how you response, feel that. And it was really interesting, or is it ch- think, feel, choose? I'm butchering it. Go listen to that in my le- podcast. And it's, it's probably a year or two years old. But I have practiced that because everyone talks about box breathing. Physiologically and mm-hmm. um, neurologically, that actually s- keeps you in the state you're at instead of heightening. And so that's the, that's the, mm. the reason for box breathing is like, let's get in this state and stay in this space state. Whereas this breathing right. I've found to completely disarm me. It just like completely disarms me. Of course you can jump right back into that phase when you're done. And it's really hard to say, Hey, you're really annoying me. Let me take a second and do three counts in right. seven out for about three or four rounds. But it's really worked for me. So just wanted to throw that out there. Cause it's been a, it's, it's been That's a conversation cool. around our house. Uh, you did talk about, you said with your four-year-old now, teaching moments. And this one is really, really near and dear to my heart. So what was the thing that switched for you and how do you, how do you use these 
scenarios now as teaching moments instead of just blowups? I think just maturity, just a different perspective. And, uh, and that's something that I'm really working hard on embedding in my, all my children right now. I'm going really hard on gratitude Ooh. perspective. If any of them are home right now from school, I could tell you, uh, if I just asked them, what are our two words or something to that effect, they would probably tell you, I would hope they would tell you gratitude and perspective, because those are the two things that I'm really pounding into them. And, and they go hand in hand when you're, when you put things in perspective, for example, my, my, uh, 13 year old daughter had, um, uh, spelling bee that she was just in and she won at a couple different levels, like the class level and then the eighth grade level. And then she went on to the district level and she took like third place or something. And, um, she was really upset that she, cause she came down to her, like her and one other person. So she almost made it all the way through the district and almost won the district. And she was really upset when she lost because she knew the word or said she knew the word. She just said it wrong and this and that. And, you know, she's crying and, and really having a rough time with it. And I said, Kylie, you just got to put it in perspective. And, you know, it's hard when you're that oh, age, yeah. obviously. It's hard for any age for a lot of people. And But I'm really trying at this younger age to build this in them so that when they grow older, it's a more natural occurrence to feel this instead of always having to go back to the playbook and say, oh, well, I got to remember perspective and gratitude. But I told her, I said, you know, there's there's people who woke up this morning and had parents that died. There's people who just as I'm telling you this summer just lost a loved one in a car accident. You know, there's so many things that are serious that are going on. And I and I always make sure I, I tell her, I'm like, I'm not diminishing the seriousness of this in your mind right now or in your life. I know it's important. And, you know, by all means, feel your emotions and so on. But just don't overboard, go overboard with those emotions is kind of where I, I try to come in and say, look, you know, it's OK to be sad and upset, but let it get through you and don't dwell on it because that doesn't do any good in any regard for anything uh, at any level of seriousness. So, um, so perspective is one and then gratitude goes hand in hand with that by, you know, telling them, just look at all the things you do have to be grateful for. You're the only, like in this case, you're the only kid that won at the first level. You won the eighth grade one altogether and you have the ability, you have a, you know, awesome God given brain that you can use for these, um, for these types of things, you know, like you're, you're healthy, you've got your, your mental health, your physical health, you know, that's a lot to be grateful for. So yes, you lost the spelling bee, but you're winning at a macro level. Yeah. So that's something that we talk about a lot. That's, in this house. Man, you, you hit the nail on the head for two incredibly important things that people need to understand. Gratitude. I don't know. Gratitude. The power of gratitude is almost unexplainable that what it does for mm -hmm. you in your life. And if you can get that across to your kids, that gratitude practice and always finding the good in things, or at least like stopping, okay, this situation is really not awesome, but think of all the other things that are right now. You're really giving them a right. leg up the other day on perspective. The other day, somebody was, my son and I were on our way to school. I drive him to school and someone just blew past me and then pulled right in front of me. He's just driving crazy. And my initial re reaction is I'm sure I made some sort of really offhanded comment. And um, I know I did. It, it wasn't like foul or anything. It was just, you know, it was like, what an idiot, yeah. you know? And right. then I just stopped. And I said, you know what, though? I have no idea what might be happening there. I if right. if the hospital weren't right behind us, there's an there's a chance that they could be in an emergency and on the way to the hospital. 
we literally yeah. don't know. And so he's, and he, yeah. he kind of had this look on his face, like, good for you, dad. Cause I get, I get frustrated <laughs> at, at uh, pattern traffic patterns all the time, but it, it really made me reflect on the way that we perceive things and display those and model that to our kids as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Traffic is something I really deal with. I'm, that's probably, probably my uh, kryptonite. If I truly have one, I, I just don't do well with idiot drivers. <laughs> There's but, a lot of them. Um, you have a lot oh of practice gosh. opportunities. <laughs> I do, especially here in Chicagoland. It's, it's loaded. You go out on the Dan Ryan Expressway and you can just almost die every day. It is really crazy out there. It's it's wild. But, um, you know, to go hand in hand with gratitude and perspective is empathy. And that's something that I also tell my kids, like, especially going back to my oldest, again, she deals with, you know, she's at the age, especially with girls where they're really catty and they're having all these crazy hormones and crazy things going on and school is rough for them and you know not all the time but there's certain interactions on a daily or weekly basis that she probably would choose not to have and um so i I talked to her and i say you know just be empathetic to people you don't know what's going on in their home life you don't know what's going on in uh like with adults you know i tell people you don't know what's going on in their work life or their their home life for that matter so that's something I've really worked on and I, I don't preach this. I'm not like saying I'm on a high horse. I'm terrible with half this stuff. Half of what I'm telling my kids to do is really just me talking to myself. Um, but I am trying to grow with them while I'm teaching them and, you know, teach them how to grow at the same time in these areas. And empathy is a big yeah. one. And just uh, having a little more patience that goes with that, you know, because when you're empathetic, you tend to also have patience because you have to be patient to be empathetic. Otherwise, you'd fly off the handle and that doesn't show empathy. So there's so many things that go hand in hand with all these traits. And uh, it's really something that I think uh, if I'm doing it right, we'll see yeah. in 10 years. Oh, absolutely. You know, but we'll find out. I really love how you said that you're working through it too. And I think that's one thing that men, if anybody needs to understand is we can be learning as we're teaching. We can be using our own experiences. Right. In fact, it's probably more powerful. My son had somebody that was in middle school with him, total jerk. I mean, just total jerk. The kid is just off the, you know, he is so full of himself. He's a pretty good athlete. He's yeah. so full of himself. And he saw my son in the hall and he looked at him. He goes, wow, Corbin, you still exist in this world and walked away. And, oh, I was, yeah. I, and my son was totally calm, totally cool. And I was just uh, like, all of my brain is just circling around this because at my, his age, right. I literally would have walked up to the kid and dropped him. Uh, that was the way I dealt yeah. with things. I figured out how to take people down because there was a lot of bullies around. I was a skater. So I learned, I sure. figured it out and I, it was everything in, within inside of me not to say, okay, I want you to walk up to him and say, how does this feel for non-existence and take him out? And I was like, okay, not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And the next day on the way to school, I said, I just kind of asked him how, how, how he felt about it. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, I don't, it, it didn't affect me at all. He's, he, he said this, he goes, this is his peak in life. This is literally his peak oh, in life. And I was like, whoa, that's big. So he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm, I'm just starting oh. My mind was blown at the at the insight that he had. And then I started thinking, I was like, you know, this kid's a total jerk. All the girls swoon over him, which is pretty much the case. They there's there's Jordan Peterson talks about why that is with the bad boys. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, what do you think his home life is like? And he says, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. And, um, yeah. you know, they're, they're the pretty family and perfect. And you know, behind the doors that if a kid is acting like that, there's something completely going on behind those, those household walls within those walls. Right. And so I said, you know, how do you feel? Like, he's like, I'm, this is why I don't care is because my life is amazing and I have a feeling his hasn't. And that's why he's peaking right now because he's going to be battling these demons the rest of his life. And, um, the only reason, the only reason I I, I actually, I have no idea where he gets this introspection It's amazing. And I'm sure I've modeled it through the year, but I, I was just so blown away. The power of perspective, the power of empathy. It's really hard to be empathetic with someone like that. But but really by saying I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be in that household is empathy. Yeah. That is empathy, yeah. It brings me back to teaching moments because normally I would have just said, okay, like if he does that again, how do you want to respond? Right. Because if you want to respond with stop doing it as like it gets to the bully level, I'm definitely going to teach him yeah. and I have taught him how to take care of the situation and, and uh, command yeah. a presence. Um, but the teaching moments, how active are you in talking with your girls when you mess up in front of them? I'm big on apologizing, um, genuinely apologizing. And um, this is something that my wife and I've gone back and forth on many times because she is not the apology type. She believes that it doesn't, hold water really when you apologize because it's like well okay get you out of the situation but then you can just go do it again like what's going to stop you from doing it are you just going to apologize 20 times for the same thing and i think that um there's a mix obviously like that doesn't work either i don't want my kids to think oh sorry i screwed up but i'm just going to go repeat the offense every day until something bigger happens um but it's more about the internal mindset of apology like the actual regret of what you did and saying or doing those things that's where I feel my level of apology comes from when I, when I apologize for something and I try to get my kids to do that. And, um, you know, yesterday we had a, there's a, or maybe it was two days ago. Now there's kind of a blowout with my 11 year old. Who's got my temper, (laughs) God help her. Um, she's got my temper and, uh, she, uh, blows up sometimes and she did it with my wife and it was a bad situation. Then, you know, my wife gets frustrated and goes back at her and they, you know, they have one of those moments and it's like, oof, and I went to Taylor, my the 11 year old, and I said, look, you've got to apologize to your mom and you got to mean it like you really hurt her. The things you say and the things you do, you know, we're just because we're parents, we're not immune to that stuff. I mean, we still have feelings, too. And I said, that's really hard. <laughs> you know, like what you just did is really hard on your mom. And uh, it's not the first time either. It's not like this is the first time it's happened. So we're working on that stuff with her. And it's um, it's tough. It's like what do you do? She's 11. She's, she's old enough to understand better by all means, but at the same time, she's not got the wisdom and the, the ability to discern, um, how, how the effect is on somebody else when you do that thing. Like, I think looking back, you know, I still remember saying and doing things when I was a kid that I really regret doing, like saying things to probably my parents or friends. And it's like, you don't have that hindsight when you're 11 and you don't have the foresight when you're 11 either. So you're stuck in this position of kind of in the moment. And that's where I feel like I'm, I'm trying to teach them like, Hey, this is not okay. Um, but also you have to apologize 
and it has to come from the heart and you need to mean it and, and then try to not do it again and change. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It's just a hard, hard thing, but it's all hard. It's very, yeah. But <laughs> when has something been is hard. great that didn't come with difficulty, right? I mean, it's just, that's the equation in life. Most of the things worth having are pretty hard to get. Uh, yeah. That's so that's an interesting, trying to figure out how to, how to phrase this. This is, that's an interesting, um, perspective between you and your wife where you're, you apologize. And then she's kind of like in this place of, yeah, it's just kind of like flapping the lips. Cause it's going to happen again. Yeah. What do you guys, uh, right. let's, we've been talking about, you know, parenting. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in marriage? You've been married now for, you know, 15 years. Yeah. Um, just sit down and shut up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I don't even know where to begin really. I mean, it's constant growth. It's constantly um, trying to look back at things that I I've said or done that I shouldn't, and then not repeat those mistakes. And, um, and just some of the, I guess the, a lot of the th- same things that I tell my kids as I'm trying to implement, you know, I mentioned a minute ago that I'm, I'm working on these myself as much or more than I'm trying to teach my kids. Let's call it what it is. You know, the personal brand I have online, the Dan Peterson official pages, when I talk about this stuff, yeah, it's trying to put it out there in the world, but it's really, and I even said this, I think in one of my early posts, when I started my, my brand, my personal brand was talking about how really this is just aimed at me. This is, you know, the three fingers pointing back at me type of mentality. So, um, it's a, that's a tough question really to answer without taking hours to do it, but, um, you know, I, I guess I would say some of the things are just being more intentional there as well. Um, really still dating. Here's something. Here's a good tip is continuing to date. Find time, especially with three kids, like carve out time. Let's go. You know, Valentine's Day as the time we're recording. This was a couple of days ago. And um, I, I was super busy. My wife was super busy. And we made it at a point to take an hour out of the day. In the middle of the day, there's this little lunch spot two blocks from where we live. And we went over there and it's some of our favorite food in the area anyway. So it was perfect. You know, nothing over the top, nothing crazy, no fancy dinner. Um, and we made that hour, hour and a half just to sit down, get away, enjoy some food, some discussion, and then go back and get back into it. But we didn't have to do that at all. And we could have kicked it to the next day. And then what if something happens the next day? And then so on. Thankfully, my wife's not huge into Valentine's Day. So I kind of dodged a bullet there. But um and we haven't, we never really got into Valentine's Day like some couples do, where it's really a big deal. But I still, you know, want to show her, obviously, how much I love her and this and that. And I, you know, Valentine's Day is a good extra day to do that, I suppose. So we try to get away, we try to do something. And then, you know, some one on one vacations and uh, short trips. And, um, and we use that time to also let the kids be with the grandparents. Some of my best memories growing up were with my grandparents. I lived, I mean, practically lived at their house. Um, and, so I want that same type of relationship with my kids and their grandparents. And that's a good chance to kill two birds with one stone. It's a, something that my wife and I do. Um, I kind of take the, I take, I take charge of it because I think she would never plan it herself, but she really, really likes it is I, at least once a quarter, at least once a quarter, I'm like, clear your schedule for Friday. We're heading out. Um, and, you don't get an opportunity to say no. Like it's like literally. And, um, I go and 
take her somewhere you know, within an hour and just mm-hmm. stay at a hotel, eat dinner, slow everything down. And it's an, it's an amazing opportunity. I really, really encourage people to do that. But I also encourage men to uh, constantly pursue their wives and date their wives, take them out. A lot of guys will lean on, well, we don't have a sitter. We don't have our in-laws in town. I'm like, just make it happen. Like figure, figure it out. If right. it's important to you, you'll figure it out. And uh, that's tough. My wife, personally, she, like, she'll be like, oh, I'm good without a date, date night. But I do notice a difference when I do have a date night with her. Like there's a little more like, oh, okay. So I have to consistently work at that. And because and, I'm the one that's like, hey, let's go on a date. And she's like, ah, we got too much going on. The boys are busy. So maybe it's a little different for my family, but it is one of the most important ways to just keep a connection at a deeper level and, and really keep things real. It is, especially as you get older, you know, and I'm obviously I'm not old, but I'm not twenties either. You know, I'm coming up on my mid forties and life's short and fast. And like the last thing I want in life is regret. The last thing I want to do is lay, you know, if I make it that long, when I'm 90 years old on my deathbed, looking back and saying, boy, I sure wish I worked more. You know, I sure wish I didn't go on all those dates and vacations and stuff. Like I, I'm just really big on that. And that's something that I really talk about a lot. And, uh, and it, it bleeds into everything I kind of try to do with kids. And I don't do a good enough job with the kids with this. And this is something I'm trying to grow with as well as, is to take them and do things with them more, you know, and like, even my wife was out of town in Florida a couple of days ago for work stuff. And I took two of them because one of them was at a sleepover. I took the other two to McDonald's because the little four-year-old wanted to go on a, in the playground area you know, and all that stuff. And um, just whether it's a trip to McDonald's or going to Universal Studios or anything in between, it's, you know, trying to make those memories and, and stuff. And, and my, my father-in-law does a good job of this. Um, he gives the gift of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as the, as his kids, you know, my wife and her brother and sister and stuff have gotten older. Uh, he gives a gift of time where they go to a Cardinals game or something. Um, I'm a Cubs fan, so I don't love that, but um, a little inside joke there. Uh, but uh, we, you know, we're starting to do the same thing and really try to kind of get away from all the junk. Like these kids don't need anything else. They don't need more toys. They don't need anything, but time is the our ultimate, you know, arbitrage. And if you can find a way to, make more use of that than you're winning. We just did our family values. We kind of loosely had them and we really nailed them down and talked to our kids because they're old enough. And uh, we, one of them is the value of experiences over things. And so then, Mm -hmm. you know, experiences are had when you spend time. And when you go from 10 years later, when you ask them about their childhood, they're probably not going to talk about the bike that they got or the new, whatever, you know, game, they're going to talk about, Oh, remember when we all did X, Y, and Z. And I think that's something you really should pay attention to and think about. And I really, I really value that because the gift of time is so incredibly important. Uh, it's remember, you know, when dad pushed me down the sidewalk, teaching me how to ride the bike, it's the memory of that it's not getting the bike. Exactly. Exactly. I think a lot of men, because they're guilty of time, they do the gifts thing to try and fill the, fill the, avoid mm. the other thing i was thinking about when you're talking about is you know you're you're in your 40s and you know it things change in how you are with your wife what i tell men is like you're going to 
in the sandwich of your marriage, you have pre-kids, typically, not always. You have pre-kids, then you have kids, but then there's post-kids. And post-kids, you know, you may not be working. You may not be working as much. I don't think I'll ever stop working. You may not be working as much, and there's going to be a lot more freedom. What are you doing in that middle part of the sandwich to make sure that you're really enjoying the end years? And if you're disconnected from your wife, not dating, not connecting on a deeper level, not being intentional about that, you're going to be miserable and you're probably going to divorce mm-hmm. or just live cohabit, they cohabitate basically and feel yeah. very awkward and chase your kids around, which isn't necessarily healthy for your kids to grow as their own family unit. And I've seen this happen all and all over and over again. So that's, that's why I love that you said, you know, dating your wife, because that keeps that yeah. in practice so that later it's natural and you're, always dating and having a great time doing the things you always wanted to do. Right. Natural is a keyword. You know, I'm, I'm not there yet, so I can't speak to that, but what you just said makes so much sense. And, um, and you're right. The, there would be a natural transition there if you're used to already being with her and doing things with her for the 20 years or whatever. And then when your kids are gone, now you've got, it's just a natural transition. You know, there's no, uh, fakeness about it. So that really makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Well, it, just to put a stamp of approval on dating your wife. It's incredibly important. It's not, it's incredibly important it for the now it's important for the future, but here's the other thing for you. It teaches your daughters. They, they're going to be looking for what they know. And if they are seeing you taking your wife out and treating her, they're going to look for a guy who's going to take them out and treat them. And that's, that's a legacy you want to, to sp- send off. Right. So, and right. lucky for you, you, yeah, I was just gonna say you, you have to always have in your head, like how I treat, how I treat these ladies, these girls in my life is how they're going to look for somebody to treat them. And that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's, I failed in so oh, many yeah. ways in that department. And that's, uh, you know, hopefully I'm not the only one, but I feel like I you're am not. sometimes. I feel like I'm the only one that's losing at that. No, department. no. And I don't think you're losing. It's, uh, it's this conversation has made it very clear to me that you're cognizant of these things and that's half the battle. And then going back to teachable moments, we can use our failures to teach. And it, almost sometimes that's just as important. It's sometimes more powerful, unless we're just really screwing up, than just being right. perfect at it, which no one is. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Awesome. I love the, the things that you shared, man, talking about teachable moments, patience, uh, mental photographs. That was, that's amazing. Uh, gratitude and perspective. I don't think we can teach that enough. Like, yeah. yeah. So, well, and it goes along with what you were saying. I wanted to say this a minute ago too. You just reminded me, you know, going back to that story about your son where he was dealing with that kid in school and he had that empathetic response, which is amazing. Um, it's, yeah, that, that kid exemplifies society in so many ways. You know, he is a uh, microcosm of society as a whole. And especially, you know, I own a social media agency, so I see this stuff. I see it more than the average person, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm looking at it from a 30,000 foot view. And everybody just is posting their highlight reel on Instagram or whatever. And of course, it looks like everybody's great and everything's fantastic in the house. And then, you know, to the story that you just told, who knows what that kid's going through. He would probably trade every vacation picture from him and his family on the beach and doing all the things to have 10 minutes of real quality time. You know, who knows what he's dealing with. So, and, and that is just society. 
everybody is in this rat race and everybody's just trying to, to show off who's got, you know, the best and the biggest and all the stuff. And it's just, it's so stupid. And that's why I'm really, you know, trying to tell my kids, like, be grateful for what you have. Um, this came up matter of fact with, uh, the 11 year old. So I mentioned that my wife went on a business trip to Florida. Um, she just got back a second time from Florida with, uh, my 11 year old, who's a big gymnast. Like she's just lives and breathes at like 16, 18, 20 hours a week of, of gym work and, um, really all in on it. And they went down for a, a rare out of state competition. And there was the resort that, um, everybody was staying or, you know, not everybody, but a lot of the kids were going to be at. And then there was the hotel that I put my wife and kids in so that they could still go use the pool with the friends. But that was like $400 or something a night at that resort. And we were a block or two down the road for 120 a night or they were, I wasn't there, but my family, you know, um, and my, my daughter was really upset. No, I'm not going to be with them in this night. And I understand that. I, so I sat down with a pen and paper and I wrote out the difference of money and I said, okay, let's say you get in high school or college and you go get a job and you're making, you know, you start out minimum wage, 15 bucks an hour, and you're only allowed to work, let's say 20 hours a week or whatever, because it's really, you know, just standard part-time. So that's $300 a week before taxes. You're going to bring home maybe 220, something like that. Now, the difference of us staying where we stayed and where those other people stayed for two nights is around $600 difference. You would have to work for three weeks at your job to pay, you know, this little part-time job in my story here to pay for those two nights. That's a lot of work for those two nights. Now, of course, I, you know, I told her, I said, dad doesn't make minimum wage, you know, but I'm still working and your mom's working for that money. You need to be respectful and understand that this money doesn't grow on trees. You know, the oldest right. thing in the book is yeah. apparent, right? Um, but it, I think that's really more prevalent than ever now. Like everybody just thinks, you know, the kids, especially they're seeing all their friends do all this stuff on social media and all this stuff going on and, and just to dial them back in and say, look, it's not all fairies and roses and butterflies. Like mom and I grind for this money and you're taking advantage of it. You know, you don't realize you're doing it cause you're 11, but this is the time to learn the value of money and to learn so good that it doesn't grow on trees and your parents are working your butts off for it. So it was a nice uh, teaching moment to go back to what we were talking about earlier. And I did, I wrote it all down. I said, now here's what you'd have to work if you made this much money. And then I went through all our bills, which was kind of an eye opener for me. <laughs> I went through and said, this is how much we would have to make just to pay, just to break even, to not put a dime in the bank. Probably doesn't even include like, I think it didn't include like going out to dinner or anything fun. It was more just like bare bones, you know, with cell phone cable and things. But, where we're at and it blew mm -hmm. her mind. She was like, Oh my gosh, like couldn't believe. But you're so, teaching good teaching. You're teaching them financial literacy as well. Uh, one thing mm -hmm. I remember my son in middle school, my oldest was like, Hey, my good friend, he, for his 14th birthday or whatever, his parents took him to uh, Florida on the beach for his birthday, gave him an iPad, a Mac, a MacBook, and an Apple watch, like the whole Apple suite. Right. And he, and he, wow. and for him, it's like big deal. He, he didn't really care, but he was telling us this because he thinks it's ridiculous. <laughs> it, it, he's way more pragmatic. He's very like stoic wow. type always has been. And we, it was wow. a really great opportunity to say, well, how do you feel about, you know, what we do for your birthday? 
And that conversation went on and we talked about, we got to talk about values. So, hey, look, that family has a much nicer car than us. Uh, Do you Mm -hmm. feel comfortable in this car? Yeah. Do you feel safe in this car? Yeah. Okay. That's what we care about. We care about like getting from point A to point B in a very safe uh, thing, vehicle, where they are valuing more than likely what people see them in. And I'm just, I'm, it may yes. or may not be true, but we don't care. And so we have different values as them because that might be stretching them all the way thin, or they may be in really big debt to just drive a car that looks like that, or just give their kids these gifts, or they might have just a lot more money. And then let's look at perspective. When we go out and we go to this town called South Lake, there's people driving Lambos, McLarens, all, all the things, right? And you look mm-hmm. at that and you say, okay, son, that's a $600,000 car. But what I want you to understand is to not judge that person for driving that because the, there's a chance that they make or have enough money that that's like me buying a moped. And that's typically yep, the case. Be. Like we cannot judge somebody for whether they're riding a moped or a Lamborghini. One, we all have different values. So we value things differently Two, You don't know the whole story. And so we can't judge for the people living extravagant lives because they might give millions of dollars to charities every year. Right. We don't know. That's right. And we, it's not for us to judge, but you, you just, just assume they do. And how much good is that doing? Um, so right. there's, you know, it's these opportunities are so good to teach them. Like that family obviously values staying in a very expensive hotel. And I'm not against that, but our, we value like it's our hard earned money. If we do this, we won't be able to go on this vacation. So we really want to do this thing. And so it's, those are such good conversations, man. Good on you for having those conversations and like going through the budget with her. Wow. Talk about powerful. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Might I know. Well and that's uh, <laughs> right there. Boom. You nailed it. Might as well start young, yeah. start young on gratitude, start young on teachable moments, start young on empathy and perspective. Just really good. Dan, thank you so much. Yeah, man. We're trying. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's always, always a pleasure. Lots always of fun. wisdom. And I, I really appreciate you. Hey guys, you got to check out Dan's business. Uh, it is actually going to be in the show notes. Uh, He's an awesome dude. I've heard all about his business. If you're more interested in that, go back to that Stories That Sell episode. Uh, He drops it all and talks about all sorts of really valuable lessons and then also talks about his business as well. Thank you for listening. Make sure you do the thing and subscribe, like, share, whatever. Have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, The Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from The Brotherhood of Fatherhood.